This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Boys and girls, get your iPad out. Put on your Facebook Live and get ready for another episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. Here we are. Here we are. Everything good with you? Yeah, great. Uh, well, let's bring in our guest. It's PJ Scrantz. He's a former NY New York City firefighter, a 9-11 first responder, Bob. He uh, has a, a, a stunning story, a breathtaking story. Uh, in addition, alcoholism and addiction and recovery, worked in the field, and uh, I'm sure shares a lot of our all right, oh, I got some questions. For him. All right, PJ, welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy to be here. Great to have you. I got so. You, were you working in treatment in New York City? Actually, I'm in South Florida. Oh, okay. And that's when uh, after my son died, I uh, ended up getting divorced. Uh, like over ninety percent of the families, when you lose a young child, my son Dustin was seven when he died in my arms, oh, and uh, God, God. that's when my world went upside down. You know, I was trained to save lives, an army veteran, New York City fireman, and the one life I wanted to save, I was helpless. So needless to say, the uh, drug addiction and alcoholism went through the roof, and I lived in a dark place for quite a while. Let's talk about the, some of the, the other... Not well, you to had to. Well, uh, not to revivify. I know, he had to. You, had, you had to. He survived had, with drugs. Yeah, yeah, that was a survival coping mechanism. I don't think drugs are bad. Well, I, we you were getting into quick quicksand here. We, we both you and I don't believe you and I don't believe that there's such a thing as a bad drug. That guy needed there's, to take drugs for a while and, just and, to get through. And people's choice to use may be a survival technique, but addiction is bad. When addiction gets rough. That's that's right. right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to hear more about your firefighter experience. How did you and and where you served in the military? Give give us your whole story if you don't mind, PJ. Well, yeah, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and I come from a family that has alcoholism in it. My dad, uh, you know, he, he he drank a lot when I was growing up. He was an iron worker, hard worker, and, you know, drank after work every day. He did the best he could, and we had a nice life. But uh, the reason I became a fireman was my godfather, my father's best friend, and his best man at his wedding, Bill Wren, he was the happiest guy I've ever seen. And from a little kid, I just knew all he did was smile. And I wanted to become a fireman like my godfather. So I, what I did was I joined the military first. I served in the United States Army. 
And when I got out of the Army, I took the test. I became a fireman, greatest job in the world, New York City Fire Department. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing job up until 9-11. And four guys from my firehouse were killed. Uh, and actually, my godfather, he retired a lieutenant on the New York City Fire Department, only to take a job as the head of fire safety for the Twin Towers. Oh. And he was killed on 9-11 as oh well. Oh, my God. We, we uh, you know, my, Susan and I, we spent a lot of time in New York, so we're, we're sort of, we know lots of people that lost people. We, you know, we were very connected with all that. What, what was your, what was the response pattern you had to follow on that day? Where did you go? Well, I ended up, I was, I was not working that day. I responded from home, like Oof. every other fireman that, that wasn't working. There was thousands and thousands and thousands of us that weren't working that responded. And when I got there, the, uh, second building had just come down Oof. and I was driving in a Jeep. If you remember that day, it was a beautiful September day. It was beautiful at not cloud in the sky. And I was driving in my Jeep. I had a Jeep with no doors, no top. And I drove through the Brooklyn battery tunnel to get into the city. And it was dust. You couldn't see 10 foot in front of your face. Oh. And I remember praying as I was going through that tunnel saying, I don't know what is coming, but please protect me. <laughs> that that's the that's the psyche of a responder. Just move forward. Absolutely. Psyche of an addict too. Well, <laughs> be fair. That's what makes you choose to be a responder. <laughs> no, no, because I I have the junkie side of that. A bunch of my friends, like when everyone was walking uptown, they were just hanging out by Canal Street, like yeah. want to know what the hell's going, going on. on. Yeah. That's what, yeah, of course. That's an addict move for sure. That that's the thing that people don't understand. With addicts are are at their best in extreme situations. That's why they make great extreme athletes and shortstops and first responders. And the, for them, they're all whatever anxiety or depression in their life all goes away when they're in action. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's hundred percent true. You get a little high from it. And uh, I had a the, friend of mine was in a yoga class downtown. There, she walked out, saw what was happening before the first tower even went down, and just started going uptown. Uh, to uptown. Get away! Get, uptown. A, get yeah, away! That's a normal. Yeah, just that's, get away. That's, that's a normal, normal person. <laughs> yeah. Then years later, I'm talking to these two guys out in front of a club that I played at, and they're old friends of mine from the '80s, and they're like. Yeah, dude, we just hung out. <laughs> we were helping people, and oh boy, <laughs> yeah, so the junkies were down there helping too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so that day oh, yeah. ends, and then your son dies on the heels of that. It's just, it's just too well, much. you know what? I, it, it, this is this is how it went. My my son Dustin was diagnosed with leukemia when he was mm. two and a half years old, mm. and he was very very sick. He was ninety eight percent compacted with leukemic cells. And Ah. they told us on the very first day, they said, your son's probably not going to survive. And uh, he fought for four and a half years. And he died in my arms when he was seven. And uh, let me tell you something. Uh, You don't know how you're going to handle it. But I, I couldn't have handled it any worse, I don't think. I truly don't. I don't know if there's such a My thing ex- as worse or good or good or bad with that. It just is how you handle it. You know? Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't know any better. I didn't just picture this uh, when you when you're a, uh, uh, an army veteran or a mil, anyone in the military or a first responder. 
you have to compartmentalize and stuff your feelings because say if you respond and there's a little kid and there's guts are hanging out, you you can't cry, you can't uh, panic, you can't you can't feel. You have to do your job. Yeah. So you know this is what I had to do. But, but when it came to my son, how do you compartmentalize when your firstborn son at seven years old dies in your arms? Uh. Uh, the 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 champagne bottle, the cork just blew and it blew big. Did you immediately go to drugs, or did you act out aggressively, or what, what happened? Uh, uh, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I'm not an aggressive guy like that. What I do is I, I become introverted. Uh. What I would do is I, there wasn't enough cocaine. There wasn't enough alcohol. Yeah. I just drank and drank, and I snorted cocaine, and I'd wait till everyone in my family went to sleep, and I'd have it out with God every night. Okay, curse yeah, him. That, curse, yeah. curse everyone. So, so that that arguing about God. There, whenever I have a trauma survivor like you, I recommend this book, which is a dumb self help book. It's only like ninety pages long by Rabbi Kushner, called "Why Do Bad Things Happen oh. to Good People." You yeah. ever read that book? I haven't, but I know of it. Yeah. It's a it like it changed my life because because when you have wow. a, a, a a bad childhood and all these adverse things and why does this happen to me why does this happen to me god doesn't care about me he cares about everyone else i that's how i lived my whole life and i read that book and it just was like wow i'm just being i'm locked into a way of viewing things that what, is what was so, the bottom line of the book the, the bottom line thing. of the book is that that you have to change what you know about God. You you choose what you know about God. And what we're taught about God is God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and God is love. And so when your child dies in your arms, when you pray and turn mm. to God to save like, him, well, that's wrong. One, one of those things yeah. has to go. Yeah. But think about it he, logically. Yeah. One of them has to go, and yeah. then the thing makes sense. Yeah. And, and I chose to believe this thing because I'm Catholic and grew up Catholic, that, that in the exchange out of paradise... God gave up some of his power to man, huh. right? Yeah. And then the universe makes sense. God is not all-powerful. God is love and God is all-knowing. That's the God I want, yeah. right? But can't change human events. Yeah. Can't, can't keep a bullet from har- right. harming your child. And, and he says in the book that's so interesting, you, you can choose which one you remove, but what kind of world do you want to live in? If you want God to be all-knowing and all-powerful and not love, that's a pretty fucked up world, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, some pe- well, some I, people think that's the world we that, live that, in. That's called, that's called Judaism, <laughs> just you know. <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> so. But that, that book helped me, and it's helped hundreds of my clients that I've recommended it to, and I always recommend it. But it looks like one of these dumb self-help books, you know, with the typical cover. Right. But it really... I was, and also, you have to want healing, and you have to seek. Well, that's there. Right then, in there is the magic, and maybe how we got here so fast, I don't know. But I wonder if PJ has a a feeling about this. Our our sense, Bob and mine, is that we're in sort of a spiritual vacuum in this country right now, and we don't seem to want. We we don't seem to want to get better. We don't want out. Yeah, and that's you know, wanting you know better is something that we all have got to sort of come to here. How, how, what's it going to take? What, what's your sense of it? What's your solution, PJ? Well, every, everything that you just talked about really struck a chord with me. Because when you speak of God, my first, I, I came from a family that was raised Catholic as well. 
And, but we didn't go to church. We went on like Christmas Eve, maybe Easter Sunday. And my first experience, the first time I was told about God was I, when I was, when I was seven, my son died at seven. I had a, my younger brother died. Oh my God. My parents, my brother, my brother, Jamie, and, uh, my parents sat me on my bed at seven years old, Ugh. my mother on one side, my father on the other. And all they said was, Jamie went to heaven. He went, went to go live with God. Mm. And I remember at seven years old going, I don't know who God is, but where's my brother? Ugh. And from that age, it probably scarred me. It was probably my first uh, encounter with PTS, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, and through the years and through life, I was trained, so to speak, not to feel. Yeah. And it was such a detriment. And to this day, I struggle with, with it, you know, uh, all of, and it's like you say, but when you, when you talked about it's an action, if we want to, if we want to heal, it takes action, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't want to heal and that took action. And my action was to drink as much as I could snort cocaine as much as I could and stay angry and stay resentful and stay hurt and sad and all of that stuff. And what I found was, and this is for me, I'm not a, I'm not a Bible thumping guy, but I'm a believer because I want to see my son again. Mm. And with my faith, just, just, giving me hope that I'll see him again is a good enough reason to have my faith. So yeah. what, what I do is I, I pray and I talk, I talk to God, whatever everyone's God is. I know that in the rooms of AA and NA, they talk about it could be anything you want it to be. For me, it's God. There's God. The word God is God. That's it. And um, when I got divorced, when my son passed away, because my wife said to me straight out, she said, I'm not going to bury the only other man I've ever loved, the first being our son. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I got divorced, I moved down to South Florida, Delray Beach, the recovery capital of the world. And uh, I remember that was September of 07. And come the week before Easter of 08, I'm driving in my Jeep, top down, doors off. Gorgeous sunny day on A1A, palm trees going, and I hear a commercial on TV on the radio that says talked about an Easter Sunday service at a church I've never heard of, Church of Christ Fellowship, and it's going to be at this uh, place, this Kuzan Amphitheater, which I never heard of, and I remember looking up at the sky and saying, "God," and people thought I was nuts because I was loud. I said, "I'm going to go to this Easter Sunday service." But if you don't come back into my heart, I'm done with you. And I was crying, and it was the most amazing thing happened at that service. And I will, I'll keep this real short. But the pastor, who's on Amphitheater, holds about three, 4,000 people, had a massive stage and three huge screens, TV screens, jumbo chons. And the pastor came out, and what he said was he sent a TV crew to City Place. It's an affluent area in Palm Beach. And the TV crew asked just total strangers, what would you do if you were told you had 30 days left to live? 
And that hit me hard because when my son's bone marrow transplant failed, they said, you have six weeks to say goodbye to your son. Mm -hmm. So here it was, I'm going through the emotions, you know, God was knocking on my door. And then they, they, they asked these young girls were the first people. They go, we go shopping, we'd go to, and I get angry. Then they'd show a guy like my age and say, I tell my wife and my children, I love them every day for 30 days. Now I'm a mess. I'm a complete mess. It's going back and forth and back and forth. And the last image on the screens was a woman, bald with no eyebrows. And her only statement was, I was just told that I have 30 days left to live. And you have to pardon me, I get emotional. Um, I saw my son's face. Mm. And, uh, you know, you could tell I'm not 100% healed, obviously, because I'm still, like, I'm, I get very emotional just talking about it. Yeah, but but I, I don't. Exp I'm unfortunately, well, those kinds of emotions that you're having right now aren't bad, and don't necessarily need to go away. So they'll just diminish in their intensity and their effects. But you kind of want them to, you know, they're very real. You don't want to lose that. It's, it's what differentiates us from other animals. And it's unfortunate that, you know, your your expectation is to be able to compartmentalize that, right? Because you've dealt with so much that way. But, but here, our society believes it was, that. It was, e it was easy. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, may sound, it may sound absurd to some people, but it's easier for me because of my training. Yeah. And actually because of having an alcoholic father from yeah. a, as young as I can remember. Yeah, totally get like it. Like hiding in a closet. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally know? get it. You, you had... You've been dealing with trauma, and that's how you deal with it, with dissociating from it, right. dis disconnecting from it. I, I have a little, like, sort of alexithymia where I have trouble connecting to emotions. I was emotionally abused younger. And uh, so I, I get how how challenging it can be sometimes to, to get, get connected. And when you I do, I feel it's, more and more connected yeah. to people feeling that, which is yes, more my yes. evolution. I, I just sit here, and I just... I think it's a wonderful thing to be a part of that we're talking about real things, about life, about what purpose is, right. what meaning is. Because I, I have complete contempt for our culture. Oh, you know geez. what I mean? So when things are real... <laughs> oh, you're like me. I when, don't like a lot of when, people. <laughs> when things are real, I this is what it's supposed to be. We're supposed yeah. to be community. We're exactly. supposed to be supporting each other when yeah. we're having emotional remembrances of our yeah. child. We're supposed to be talking about real things. L let me say, not I, the I Kardashians. Am, I am closer to Sam. Right. I'm closer to Sam Harris than I am to either of you two. And yet I do believe that real meaning, spirituality, God, whatever you want to call it happens in those communal moments. Just what we were what PJ was just sharing with us. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's all oh, it's happening right now for sure. That, that's what I'm saying. That's so let's saying. get on to a subject. Let's compartmentalize now <laughs> and get on to a subject. What is going on down there in your region of the United States recovery world? Oh, this is <laughs> well out, out, outside of uh, a politician not having a clue how severe, and this is both sides. Yeah, not having a clue of how severe the opioid epidemic is and just drugs and alcohol. Well, but about in, the in drug, general, I'm talking about the drug treatment, the drug treatment industry in Florida. The drug, oh, well, well, it's, it's getting better. Uh, I know that you know, it's getting better. It's, it, it is. It was, I've been here since 07. So I've seen it. You when saw it. it. Was at you its saw low. it. And it was so bad. So, so bad that you would have halfway houses with 
guys that were owned them and were running them, using them. Yeah. were feeding pills to the people that were living there. Like making money off of them doing that. It was like just just so, so crazy. Um, you know, it goes on. Dying. 20 it, it, people are dying. I got to yeah. tell you something, because it goes on here in L.A., and it, it, it had gone not to the extent of Florida. But there are some – I was trained by a couple of old guard – treatment center owners who mm-hmm. had no problem confronting treatment owners at AA meetings, going over to their business and saying, you're, right. a, you're yep. a lion sack of shit, motherfucker. Jive ass motherfucker. That yep. was Buddy Arnold's <laughs> favorite line, right? Yeah. And it was very, we're protecting our industry's reputation amongst the owner operators and the clinicians who are in charge of the programs. We, I come from that generation of clinicians here in, and owners in L.A. And so I've done it myself. I started hearing about it once, 2010, 2011, about this, right. the shenanigans that were going on. I confronted people. I'd call them. I'd call the treatment center. I'd say, this is Bob Forrest. And luckily, I was on Celebrity Rehab, so they knew who I was. I'd say, I'd like to talk to the owner. And I'd get him on the phone and go, you know, I've heard this and this and this and this and this about you and your treatment center. And unless you, I start hearing different things about your treatment center or I really start to know that you're changing, I'm going to call the state. Just the threat of it at first, right? There yeah, but you but you need to do that. That I mean, you know, being born and raised in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, I was figuring. You never want to be a snitch. You never want to do this. But you want to know something? In this case, you have to call them out. You have to call the state because people are dying. It's no joke. And if they're not dead or dying from an overdose, they're suffering miserable lives until they die. See, and I, I, so, I, I'm really optimistic about Florida because it was ground zero, because the feds went down there. I'm not one of these that right. says, oh, you should never have a treatment center in Florida ever again. I think this is the time right. where Florida could be revolutionary in drug ethical drug treatment and, and start what? to have some, some really innovative ideas on how to be of service to the addict community. All, for two reasons. One, because there's a lot of professionals down there who, who know how to run a treatment center. And two, you need to redeem the image of Florida and the treatment industry down there. Right? 100%. 100%. And so I'm hoping that you know, good things start happening down there. No, it, it, it will, and it has. It, it's already begun. And I, I could, it's like a perfect segue right here to what I'm, what I'm about to say. Uh, I had made it my mission. To, to help veterans now. That's my awesome. mission, helping veterans that are suffering PTSD, depression, suicide, alcohol, and drug addiction. And the reason it was forged into my heart, I was in Cleveland, Ohio, during the RNC, okay? And I was doing personal security for Kid Rock. He, did a, he, he uh, had a concert on that Sunday, the last day of the RNC, the day... Donald Trump accepted the nomination. He was at the convention center, several miles away from this Jacob Pavilion where Kid Rock was going to have his concert. So every cop in Cleveland, cops from all over the country, they all converged at the convention center. I had a, I drive a triple black Hummer H2 when I do security. I had a couple of women with me, and we had my Hummer filled with stuff for Bob for Kid Rock's green room. We go pulling into the arena, this venue, and somebody comes running up to me and says, look up, there's somebody going to jump off the bridge. It's the Detroit Superior Bridge. 
I look up, and there's a guy sitting about 125, 150 feet over ground, not over water, oh. and his, he was sitting, he was going to jump. So I literally pushed these girls out of my hummer. I go speeding back to where the gate is. They let me out. I go ripping up this bridge, and I confronted a homeless, I'm going to get emotional then, I'm sorry, oh, a homeless drug-addicted veteran, okay? Uh-huh. And when I took a step from my Hummer towards him, he leaned as if he was going to jump, and he goes, I got this. Mm. I got this. And now I'm, my heart's pounding. I'm saying, oh, my God, please don't do this. No, please, please, please. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not saying this. So I said, he goes, I said, so what's the problem, brother? I'm not here to hurt you. I said, I'm a retired New York City fireman. I said, I just want to talk. And he goes, I'm an army vet. He goes, I did two tours in Fallujah. Now, Fallujah was very much a hot spot during the war. But I had to vet this guy myself to make sure he truly was a veteran. Anyone could say this, right? He was drug addicted. So I said, oh, wow. I said, I was army too. I said, what was your MOS? Most civilians wouldn't know what an MOS is. So he goes, 11 bang bang, which is 11 bravo, which is a grunt. He fought. He was the guy fighting. Mm. So here he is. Now I knew. He saw things that, as much as I saw in my life, he probably saw 10 times worse. Mm. So here it is. Um, now I know he's a veteran, and we're talking, but he's still going to jump. So I'm saying, what do I do? What do I do? I'm thinking, and all of a sudden I said, I thought of my son. Whenever I think of my son, I can't help but get emotional. So I said, listen, I said, brother, I'm a dad. I, just, I lost my seven-year-old son. I could use a hug. And now all of a sudden... This hero, he's not think, thinking about Fallujah. He's not thinking about committing suicide. His eyes focused on my eyes. And I said, can I have a hug? And when he reached out to his, his arms to give me a hug, I pulled him down. And um, it, it, it changed my life. I made a vow that I am going to help veterans in a big way that are suffering. And for the past year, on my own dime, I traveled around the country and I vetted treatment centers that said that they had treatment tracks for veterans. They all do. And yeah. ninety-five, yeah, yeah but they, 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 they don't. They don't. You know that. They too. say they do. It's the same. It's the same track that they give for the regular civilian. Yeah. But let me promise you something. These guys have traumas and things that regular civilians don't have. They, they, they have unique experiences. Yep. So, you know, I found what, what I did was I seen something that was unique in one. And then I seen something that was unique in another. I seen one that was unique in this. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the right entity. I said, because my passion is off the charts. My motives are pure. And I said, I'm going to find a healthcare company. I'm going to find a treatment center where I could be the liaison for, for, for veterans and first responders, the poster boy for the place, because they talk to me. And, and I'm, I just need to, I need to add this. When my, after I started healing, I wanted to honor my son. And what I did was I, I founded a charity that helped military cops and firemen with critically ill kids because I walked in those shoes. Is that Valive? And what I, 
no, it's it's called Wish Givers. Believe is my charity now for veterans. Wishgivers.org, I found it with my ex-wife. And what I found was over years, three, three or four years time, I had to go and find these veterans and first responders. You know why? They had sick and dying kids because they don't know how to ask for help. Right. They don't know how to ask for help. I would have to scour newspapers and uh, the internet. And I ended up, first family I helped was a Boston firefighter, Chris Shanahan. He has a son, Brendan, two and a half years old, leukemia, same leukemia as my son. And because my motives were pure, I ended up reaching out to this guy, William Callop, who owns John F. Kennedy's presidential yacht, the Honeyfits. And I, 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 I knock down doors. I don't, I don't, I don't ask. I say, listen, we need your yacht to do a Boston Harbor cruise for a Boston firefighter with a two and a half year old son with leukemia. Can you imagine that? Some fireman from New York call you up. You, you own a $28 million yacht that was John F. Kennedy's. Hmm. And you know what he said? No problem. Anytime you want it. And we, we did a Boston Harbor cruise for this family. And young Brendan, who was two and a half at the time, just celebrated his seventh birthday. Wow. And I became really good friends with the father. When Brendan celebrated his seventh birthday, I did a Facebook post. I had Brendan celebrating his seventh birthday in his dad's fire helmet. Side by side with a picture of me and my son Dustin with my fire, fire helmet on fire department in New York. And one was celebrating his seventh birthday, and my son was tied at seven. Hey. It was very powerful. I got a question for you. Through all your travels with the across the country, you ever met a woman uh, who's very passionate about helping veterans uh, named Susie Landolfi? She works with wounded warriors. No, I, I've been told by several people that I need to meet this she's woman, but woman. no, I never have. She's the greatest. You got it. Now she's in Connecticut, I think, but she started out in Malibu. I was working with her. She just has a miracle way, and she worked in drug treatment, bef- you know, before all this, mm-hmm. all the, right. you know, in the nineties, and. So she has this ability to navigate both sides of the equation like no one I've ever known before. And wow. she has a nonprofit called the Big Heart Ranch. And she's just the I've best. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. She's just the best. And I, you know why I say that? I, I don't know that I should speak about her. But her her grandson has gone through what, what you're talking about with the mm-hmm. cancer and leukemia. Why is it happening so much with kids, Drew? That's who gets lymphocytic leukemia. It's so sad. Listen, my, I had friends die of it when I was a, when I was a kid, and that's it used to be an automatic death penalty. Now it's you can usually, no that the kids are surviving. Her yeah, grandson usually doing you can, well. usually you can get, but sometimes but, you can't. But it's it's strange that all this trauma that that tr- the most traumatized. Not saying myself, I'm not in competition with, but trauma survivors who can start to heal become helpers of healing, right? And that's what you're doing. That's what I do. That's what Susie does. That's what everybody who really is good in the field does, right? The industry, our industry that Drew was lucky enough to just amscray from when it got really ugly and bad. Our industry is not filled with the healers anymore. It's filled with the people who want to make profits. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, it's filled with greedy people. Right. Yeah, and we've got to turn it around. You and me need to speak up more and speak out more, and I appreciate what going around and vetting these programs. I always had a really quick, sarcastic, punk rock reaction. Just I tell people, if a treatment center specializes in everything, they probably aren't good at anything. Right, they specialize in right? That's So they specialize in veterans and bipolar and dual diagnosis. In yeah. young people, yeah. in eating disorders, in sex addiction, yeah. any website that says that is a, is a disqualifier that you should send your family which is there. which is most <laughs> that's very interesting right so so let's go through your stuff it's believe.org right that's the yes that's it's it's this is a, it's a, a fledgling it's in its infancy and it's geared strictly for veterans and their issues and not a litany of issues it's, it's specific to PTSD uh, and the drug and alcohol addiction, suicide, right. which comes. Yeah, it's all Yeah, it's a smorgasbord. It's but believe, let me ask you believe, something. Believe with a V, V E L I E V. Drew and I are very interested in ibogaine and hallucinogens being used for PTSD. Have you? You must have known MDMA, a lot of soldiers MDMA. that have done that, right? Oh, absolutely. I know. I'll tell you what. I'm like, I'm one of these guys that you know. Everybody wants to, uh, like you said, our country is 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 hurting really bad. Really and bad. We, we, there's no unity. Uh, we're we're so divided. Where the left is so left and the right is so right. And you know, want to know something? I was raised by Kennedy Democrats, but I'm a Republican. Right. But I'm a but I'm a but but I'm a Kennedy Democrat. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm the guy that meets in the middle. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's uh, a, you're, you're going to join us. You know you're going to join us in this thing. We're trying. Drew and I are trying to call something the radical radicalize the center, yeah. the radical center. That's right. There right? you go. And, and that's what we need. It is. I was I was raised a Goldwater Republican and then ended up a liberal because I went to college in the seventies and now I'm back towards the radical center. And then PJ, right. I'm radical center. You also there have you a, a, a podcast that's serving those who serve. Is that right? Or, yes. Or yeah, yeah, serving those who serve. You know what it is. I want to zone in. I don't want to be somebody that does a lot of different things and does it okay. I want to do one or two things. And do them really well, because I, I we really do have to. We, we're in a position like right now with you two. When you when you two guys speak, you're saving lives. You're professionals. There's somebody listening to this, and they're crying, and they they they're at the cost of either they're going to die or they're going to help. Yeah. So literally, as you guys speak, you're saving lives. So this is what I want to do. This is my life's mission. I want to save lives. There's no joke. There's no game. I, I mean, I can tell you, and I'm just, I'm going to, I, because I have to. I went to a, a treatment center in Ohio, and the guy, uh, God bless his heart, he was an attorney, he bought a hotel, oh and God. the hotel, <laughs> it was a big, big hotel. Yeah. Drew's favorite people, he, by the way. Lawyers are running treatment centers. He called it. He called it Hotel California. He yeah. was going to keep it a hotel. And he had all the fake palm trees. Beautiful, beautiful place. But he didn't realize that the Eagles were going to sue him. Oh, my you know, God. So he had, to, he had to lose the name. Oh. So he, he, he said he was going to lose millions of dollars. So he's a bright guy. He says, wow. 
he did some reading and research. He goes, I'm going to come up with a treatment center for combat veterans. All right. There's, and it's got, you know, something. which is, That's you know, good. Yeah, but, but his motives, you know, maybe the motives, maybe they work for you or maybe they weren't. Not my business. Yeah. And he did have a couple of really cool uh, things that within his treatment track that I've never seen before. Like every, every veteran that go, goes there, they're given a puppy. And, oh. a, and a and a, pu- and a cage, and they're trained uh, to be service dogs. So the veteran gets to train them with oh. the professionals, the professional trainers. Oh, and if the veteran, when he leaves or she leaves, if they need a service dog, they have it. And if they don't need one, it goes to a veteran that needs it. I thought that was a brilliant idea. That is That's a but anyway, thing, yeah. any, anyway, I, uh, I I met this young marine. His name was Andrew. I'm not going to give his last name. He said I could, but I won't do it. Um, anyway, this guy, I sat outside this place for two hours speaking with him. And he shows me, lifts up his shirt. He's, he goes, I apologize. This isn't who I am. He goes, I got hooked on heroin. You have to, you know, hooked on the opioids, then went to heroin. Typical story. He goes, he lifts up his shirt, and he's got these hellacious scars. His first tour. He goes over there, his uh, Humvee gets blown up, his lieutenants get killed, he gets shrapnel in his lungs, he gets sent back to the States, gets hooked up, not hooked on opioids, takes the opioids, weans off of them, goes back just to, to do another mission. Another bomb goes off, blows his teeth out, does all this kind of stuff. Now he gets addicted to opioids, uh, and the way the VA works, as we know, they don't see you quickly. So when you run out of a prescription, if they don't fill it because they have to see you first, heroin, they go to <laughs> withdrawn heroin, right? Yeah, right. So anyway, he's he goes like this. He goes, just understand that this isn't who I am. He's like apologizing to me. I said, listen, Marine, you're a hero. You don't have to apologize to me. I said, are you kidding me? So uh, this guy that owns the place, he goes, Andrew, why don't you show PJ your uh, medals and he made a face like he didn't want to show me the medals but he broke out this case mm. two purple hearts a silver star all of this but he's so humble it's like oh, there's no big deal you know there's like he goes but i do want to show you one thing he goes can i show him my facebook and he takes me on a computer and he shows me a picture of himself before he got injured before he was addicted to heroin in full-dress uniform, the Marines' full-dress uniform, 30 pounds heavier, side-by-side with General Mattis, who commands our, our military. Yeah. And here it is, and he goes, he points at it as it, I'm going to cry again, I'm sorry. Well, he goes, good. he goes like this, he goes, this, what you're looking at here, who you're talking to is not who I am. He goes, see that guy in the picture? He goes, that's who I am. And I said, I know that, brother. You know, and um, we we have to do more. We just have to do more. Well, that's a fact. We have to do more. And PJ, we're gonna have to leave it at There's that. And, people uh, like you are gonna change yeah, it. I think that's a that's as big an endorsement uh, as we can possibly give to motivate people to do so. So, one more time, the website believe.org is that where you want people to go believe.org is great or actually you want to know something they can hit me up on facebook and and friend request me there you go that's perfect i i i answer to everybody pj schrantz s-c-h 
R-A-N-T-Z. All right, That's PJ. Me, PJ Shrantz. Thank you, man. Keep fighting the good fight Hopefully down we'll, there. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank we'll you, gentlemen. Right. You have a great day. All right, cool, cool. Hey, we are very excited to welcome our friends at Bergamot. That's a brand that made a significant impact on me. They make a variety of supplements. They use extract from the Bergamot citrus fruit. They act as a natural statin and can improve a number of cardiovascular parameters, uh, things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, insulin resistance, all the metabolic syndrome stuff. Now the makers also bring you Bergamot Sport that provides all the same benefits with additional additives designed to help athletes and those with an active lifestyle. Bergamot Sport may help improve stamina as well as reduce recovery time as well as muscle inflammation. I've used the product myself. I've recommended it to patients, and Susan uses it. My wife, Susan, you've been using the Bergafem for over a year. So what do you think about it? After I reached 45, things started changing. Changes in libido, energy, and metabolism. What? And no way. Then there are hot flashes that you know about, right, Jim? Yes. My doctor you prescribed too. bioidentical pellets every four months, and then I got hot flashes and felt fatigued at the end of my cycle. Bergafem fixed all of that for me. I took it for a year and ran out, and the hot flashes came back, and a little weight gain in my waist as well. So I'm taking one tablet a day to keep the libido strong, sleeping better, and I also notice the loss of abdominal fat, honey. Ooh, you're perfect. <laughs> Is that the right <laughs> response for husbands? So try Bergamet Sport for yourself. Visit bergamet.com for all the products that may be right for you. That's B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T, bergamet.com. Or click the Bergamet banner at drdrew.com. And for a limited time, our listeners save an additional 10% on their order by entering the code DRDREW. That's just Dr. Drew at checkout. All one word, D-R-D-R-E-W. To learn more about Bergafem, please visit bergamet.com today. I yep. love it. Yeah, you do. You've been using it right along, and it's worked. So, uh, yes, welcome, and it's our privilege to bring... Uh, My the- favorite guys in the <laughs> podcast go, world. Go ahead, interview. No way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, he said that before, even. Before how, do you think got, how do you think you got Drew on your podcast? Come on. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I baited him. I thought I baited him in Twitter. <laughs> By taunting him. I thought I taunted him to come on. It is, they have the great, it's a dopey podcast, they have the greatest way of engaging, I think, active addicts and listening to, and then the final thing is, all you guys are sober. That's true. (laughs) We say they they tune in for the debauchery and then they end up staying for the recovery. (laughs) I love Uh, that. Chris has quite a story. Yeah, <laughs> that is tied to our story. Yes, but it, see, now you got both of us, Chris. Has, has that podcast aired yet? The one that I did with you guys. It yeah. is. Yes, All we've right. gotten a bunch of feedback and stuff too. Positive, Negative? mostly positive stuff. We had a couple people. Um, one 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 woman got a little upset about the um, the optimal frustration piece, and she didn't really understand. She thought it was like. That's not true for people of low socioeconomic status, and and I explained to her I was like it's really about uh, um, tolerating feelings, and that that sort of theory is universal whether somebody's wealthy or not. Oh yeah, and, and listen, there, there may be people that can't tolerate any frustration and who are polydiagnosed with no no uh, resources. And yeah, that's somebody who may need to go on methadone or suboxone or something. But if somebody wants to get well. You have to you have to be able to dose out optimal frustration. That's how, that's our is, job. Chris, Bob, you disagree? Yeah, absolutely. Chris is an example of a guy like me that tried for ten. How many years going in and out of rehabs? A decade, about a decade. A decade ten yeah. years, yeah. right? So and yeah. so did I. And somehow now that just oh they'll die if we if we proselytize abstinence based treatment. No, 
you, we yeah. both survived, and millions of Americans survived in an abstinence-based treatment world. Now, like everything else, if there's some babies that can't handle it, oh, we'll change everything <laughs> and just have replacement therapy right. for everybody. So, so, wait, how do we introduce our guests? You and I know them well. The dopey world knows them well. What, what for the for the virgins there's, to these guys. I because I, I promote them all the time. They're sober guys who love telling the tales of the drug debauchery. And that's <laughs> well, what every rehab, every rehab, every smoking area, that's what drug addicts do. That's how they bond. Bob, that's stigmatizing. Oh. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this. My name is David. Uh, me and Chris make Dopey. And Dopey is the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts. And our niche is addiction, and we happen to be sober. So uh, what the fuck? Yeah, you know? but you talk about shooting speed up in po- coconut trees and stuff. I yeah. mean, it's not, well, I think it's you not, talked about shooting speed in coconut trees. What? Bob. I think that was you. Is that actually a story I haven't heard? Well, yeah. just, just where you have to get alone somewhere. I didn't actually do it. I just knew a drug addict that did it. And right, isolating. So it needed to isolate well, so somebody, badly. If you get paranoid in your house and you're oh, scared, yeah. the AA police is going to burst in and take you to rehab well, that's again. Math. It's best to get up somewhere high where you can see. Huh. That's right. <laughs> Definitely cocaine. I would say cocaine. Cocaine, cocaine yeah, is yeah, always cocaine. up. Yeah. You remember, up. remember, Shifty went out on the roof. Yeah, up, yeah. Up. Up. Everyone goes up when cocaine. Yeah. And when you get paranoid, you always see people in the trees. Yeah. It's weird. That's a very strange thing. I think, I think one of the greatest stories I heard of all time was, Bob, you telling me about your friend that you do the other show with and him cutting the, the worm yeah, out the of worm his out. Mike thigh. Mark, or- Mike Mark. So I was, I was, if I was an 8 on a 10 scale drug addict, my friend Mike, the guitar player from Polonius, was 9 on a 10 scale. Hold so. on a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met that guy. Mike Martin I've has never, been sober longer than me. I've never met, a, fill in the blank, more of a drug addict than you. I've never met anybody like well, that. Maybe Chris. You. Chris is close. Chris is close. Chris is bad. Chris is, like, bad. So Mike was was sm- smoking too much crack for because we, we he's the only person ever kicked out of Thelonious Monster Bob, because of drugs. Bob, is there such a thing as right amount of crack? This <laughs> <laughs> was too well, much crack. Well, in a substance use disorder <laughs> yeah. world... Oh, Obviously, yes. some people yeah. must use that substance properly. Yes, right. So Mike is paranoid, yeah. and I keep telling him, and you know how I was. This yeah. is way oh, beyond. Oh, yes, I do know how you were. And I keep telling him, Mike, there's no worms in your body. And so he, <laughs> to prove to me, he was in a particularly tweaker mood, and he, he traced a worm into the fat part of his leg, cut it off with a knife, and put it in a mayonnaise jar on to, to show me, to prove yeah. to me that there was a worm in it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people do stuff like that. I've seen people... You know, dig what in. is the worms in your skin about? Well, I never had that one. Chris, it's, it's Chris, did you have worms in your skin? No, I had no no worms. I just had police sirens. As soon as I'd shoot coke, the police sirens would start, and they were coming for me. Yeah. Right. The police. The yeah. police. The uniformed officers is from cocaine and crack. And then meth is paranoia, elaborate family, paranoia, family, family friends, coworkers, you. neighbors, and then picker syndrome. And pickers is this feeling there's something in the yeah, skin, yeah, yeah. glass. Bugs, something. The crack like, bugs, the meth bugs. Meth bugs. You have meth to pull bugs. them out. Did, Dave, did you do meth? Was that one of your drugs? I did, but not for a long period of time. I like used meth as like a, as a back door back into heroin. 
Right. Like I was yeah. clean and in California and my buddy was uh, doing meth and I was like, well, I bet if I try meth, I'll need to do heroin again. And that worked out. <laughs> Dave's a, Dave is a neurotic Jew. He can't go up. If he goes up, it's really, really bad. Yeah. He has to yeah. go down. Yeah, yeah. down is the only way I can go. So, and, and you're getting the spirit of the Dopey podcast here. It is something that builds community and then we can talk about real things. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And they found a way yeah. to to bring it in an entertaining way, but you always know it's about recovery. That's what I love well, about Chris it. Chris told me his whole story back at our hospital. Yeah, he, he was left in, he went to the psych ward. He was in this for months in the psych piece. And yeah, he, but not and, in the lockdown, in the regular two weeks. And he was at Nash for a while. Yeah, yeah, he was back yeah. and forth, but not two weeks, like eight months. No, two east two is east. what they yeah, called. Yeah. Right? And, That's where you were, Chris. Two yeah, east. I was in, it was in, uh, I was literally all of Mariah, two east, Hack, <laughs> Nash, <laughs> Gables, Briar, every single ward I was Gables. You must have had some great insurance, my No, friend. no, he had rich parents. <laughs> I think he had both. Even but Chris's hallmark, Chris's hallmark of treatment, if the place said you should stay for this long, multiply that by eight. And that's how long Chris stayed in the facility. And, and he had, you know, was super medicated. and uh, Benzos? They give you benzos no, no, listen, up there? No, well, of course. But listen, yeah. but also uh, everything you and I know had we had problems with, Chris was exploiting. <laughs> but he say. was, you, Chris, you were pre-Suboxone, though, so they weren't giving Suboxone to you up there, were they? No, they were. I, I, I told uh, Drew when we had him on our show. In at, Dr. At one Drew's point, hospital, they were giving Suboxone. I can't No, no, not, it. not on that, the chemical dependence. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, our unit. And, and uh, describe people how you played that psychiatric game. Well, I just, I mean, the first thing I did was when I checked in there, I was just running around the streets of Pasadena. I had ran away from impact and I was just like stealing beef jerkies and forties. And I, uh, I had this idea and I, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people do it. It was actually an original thought at the time was maybe if I go in and just pretend I'm withdrawing really bad, they'll load me up on medication. So the first thing I did, which wow. kind of set the pace for the rest of the time was, I told them I was drinking a handle of vodka a day. I was shooting a bundle of dope and taking benzos. And I sat on my hands and I pretend to be shaking. And they gave me a, sh- a shitload of medication. <laughs> and I ended up blacking out for two weeks. And Bob, I, I was transferred eventually to Briar That's under the care of, uh, of Drew and Blum. And and they were the guys that figured out what happened. They said, "Did somebody drug test him when he came in?" You know, and I, I, the remember, was, I remember cases like this. You weren't the only yeah. one, my friend, but it, it was but, always but, impressive. The, the, it was always Chris, impressive. I have a, wait, wait, hold on. I have a quick question. You always tell this story, and you always say you were sitting on your hands. That's to simulate the shakes. What no, is that? to like pretend I was uh, ashamed of how much my hands were <laughs> shaking. So, so manipulated. Like junkie. I was trying to hide it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A full, That's a full on junkie move. Hey, since I'm talking to two real junkies that aren't ashamed of it, can I ask you a question? Elvis, yeah. who you know, got, who's been to your restaurant, got got caught at school calling a kid an asshole, right? And when yes, and so he got brought to the principal's office on Thursday. And the principal asked him where he heard that word before. And my son, like a champion, said, I can't recall. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh-oh. That's, that's a junky move, uh-oh. right? That's a junky move. Because <laughs> yes. he didn't want to throw dad under the bus. You should be very too. proud. Very proud. <laughs> you I know thought you guys would love shot. that. I thought you guys would love that. 
I just noted that yeah. David is... Dave, Dave has met Elvis. I would say David is proud and Chris is alarmed. I'm just making note. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so my, Chris, daughter, my daughter is so quick to snitch me out. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. She throws me under the bus at every... And she's not going to... I don't think she's going to be the addict because she's the classic snitch. Right. She like, takes sober, pleasure sober police, in it. Sober police. <laughs> but listen, I want Chris also to tell you there's one story that stuck with me about when they were giving you all that Seroquel and you were in the locked unit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Don't, don't use doctor uh, names, but but tell tell. I know more. what doctor it is. Okay, so go of ahead. Course, All of he course. has to say is rich, and I know who which doctor it is. <laughs> well, he, he, well, wait, it was, there was a bunch of different doctors, sort of that happened, but the the, the moment All Drew was talking about. Oh, your your family's uber rich. Wait a minute, Drew just did a signal to me. It was all of those doctors. There was like <laughs> yeah. four of them at Las Encinas. Chris, did you have all four of them attending you? <laughs> at, at one time or another. At one time or another. Throughout so, different period, I was transferred around a lot. Um, and just so, just to clarify, is I, I went in and I pretended all those withdrawal symptoms. But then from there, it started to be seen as a more of a psychiatric thing because there probably was some legit stuff going on. But on top of that, I was intentionally like acting out and freaking out to get put in restraints and to get the booty juice and get booty put juice. to pack, and then they they transfer me out. So. Um, they thought I had like really intense aggression, but really I was just you know med seeking in a, a psychiatric hospital. Um, so clever. That's so right, the yeah. the moment Bob that that Drew's talking about was they had um, he's in the cat's deli I office. Know, I know. <laughs> yeah, he's in- <laughs> Come on, David. Take care. Shit of is this. serious. I'm sorry. I'll mute it. Hold on. Can you know right. that? <laughs> Chris is telling us an important story. Uh, but uh, so what he was what he was talking about, Bob was I was. Um, I was on one of the units there, and four times a day, they had me taking 300 milligrams of Seroquel, one milligram of Clonopin, and eight milligrams of Suboxone. And then I was probably on Lamictal and other stuff, too. But as I was on 1,200 milligrams of Seroquel a day, I gained 60 pounds. I could barely walk up the stairs. I was sleeping 16 hours a day, and my parents flew out from Boston um, to visit me. And my mom talks about it now and she laughs at it and she says she was looking at me in bed and, you know, the doctors were all bedside because I don't leave my bed. <laughs> and and he, he turns to my mom and dad and says, doesn't Chris look great? And my mom said at that same moment, she was thinking it was the worst that she had ever seen me, including when I was active. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. So that do, happened. Do you, think, do you think maybe you I'm – try, I'm trying to – give the, the psychiatric uh, community a little bit of an out here. Do you think you had a drug-induced mania, maybe, also? I don't know if I had the drug-induced mania. And we didn't mention this on the show, Drew, but at the end, you know, I told you when we weren't recording that I did have a, a brain injury in my prefrontal cortex, and I was really, really impulsive, and I think that some of the stuff I was doing might have been a result of just the traumatic brain injury, and um, and then that looked maybe psychiatric in a different way. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah. what I but but really what really what we're talking about is that that the cure is worse than the disease. No, no, that, I, that's I, what I truly sure. think. No, I think we're. He talking. became incapable of functioning outside of a psychiatric oh, hospital because that. of over medication, yeah, yeah. over diagnosing, not spotting the brain injury, not identifying the addiction problem, and that's going on. Now that you're talking about 15 years ago, that was financially motivated. There were and unfortunately a lot of rich people were marginalized and hospitalized and and just crippled by the psychiatric the, the very rich well, the very, well, well, but, well, let me, but just now let me it's interrupt happening really to everybody. Everybody. when I saw that specific doctor 
I went to transfer to a different doctor. And he said that I need $10,000 to sign the paperwork to transfer to the other doctor. <laughs> I know. I know. We know who the doctor is. Yeah. But let me, let me tell you something, though. I think what happened to you because of resources is now happening to millions of Americans just because of a bureaucratic health care system that is broken. Yeah. I don't know. I had a different, a different, a different kind of situation, though. Go ahead, David. Because, because I did not. I mean, I, I went to a couple of really nice facilities, but the the treatment I received was usually the public detox at like Mount Sinai or at Beth yeah. Israel or whatever. And I was like sick the whole time. Like I was not bloated and high and shit. I was uncomfortable and miserable wherever I went. Good. I that's what that I order. want. That's what I want everywhere. <laughs> Sorry. I know. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, but it's good for you. But, but listen. No, of course. But it was it was a pu- always public places. They were like, you can get some fucking, uh, what's the stuff? Uh, the anti-clonidine. Good luck. You're not going to die yeah. from a uh, yeah, but, but you got have some But clonidine. you guys have been sober a long time now. The system that started when Obamacare was upheld at the Supreme Court is now that same system writ large with a bureaucratic insurance All right. bonanza. Uh, but that's hopefully going to change a little bit as time, time goes on. But I, I want to go back to um, – you. Oh, God darn it. You guys said something. I want to tell them the good news. Oh, oh you moving. said the cure is worse than the illness. And, and uh, I, yeah. I, I, I don't – yes, yes, but I think we're actually looking at something different, which is this, this – the, the endemic problem is doctors believing their patients. That's at the core. It, it, the reason we were able to see through Chris's bullshit is because we were on guard, Blum and I, all the time. And with your help, we would see through the bullshit, and we would know what to do then. But the I, average I physician knows it, nothing about that. But I don't that. think it's like this anymore. I think it's chronic pain. I think the 12 of the 20 million people, by what I've seen reported in the, in the research about, about OxyContin, 12 of the 20 million people had a medical reason to take OxyContin. Sure. That was off-label. It's not what it was designed for. Chronic pain. And I'm saying they're making these chronic pain people into Chris at the Los Encinas Hospital. Yes. That's yes. what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that's a shame where the, where the cure is worse than the disease. It's a little different, but that's, that's another layer to this. But, right? Yeah. So what I wanted to tell you guys, and I wanted to do it live on the podcast, I'm moving to Red Hook, Brooklyn, you guys. I'm going to be you able are? to walk to Cat's Deli. <laughs> you are? Yeah. What? Yeah. Just for what? the, Wait, just for the summer. Oh, for just the- for the summer. So I'm, working, to to I'm working with Lehigh University out in Pennsylvania, and I didn't want to live out there. And then I tracked that it's only 80 miles from Brooklyn. I can just drive awesome. drive out there every day. So we I go to, to uh, Temecula every day. We got to. Uh, well, it's a little. You have to take the train to Lehigh, maybe. Cause yeah, the train's that's what everybody says. But I'm an LA guy. I like Dude, my car. The, uh. <laughs> no, Bob. Bob, <laughs> I, I commute an hour and a half every day. Uh, from just New deep Long Island to the Lower East Side. Yeah. Can you, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You better have Take Wi-Fi, Bob. <laughs> well, we, got, we just got to go to New York and do you 10 better, shows. You better learn how to Skype, Bob. Oh, God. We just go to New York and do 10 shows in a row. It's yeah. all we'll meet you. You guys got to come to yeah, New York. No, fuck guys. that. You, you'll just start coming on Dopey. Never mind this, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this, this life. Stuff, this, this life. You, you'll, be the, you'll be the third on Dopey. There you go. Oh, but, no. but I, 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 I really... Hey, wait are... a minute. Let, let, 
Somebody just walked in here. Yeah, Mike. Grab Mike. a mic. Grab a Mike. headphone. Mike <laughs> Catherwood, who Mike, does the Swole Patrol. Mike, who's been it. doing a dopey type thing for 18 camera, years Mike. on L.A. radio, on is board. right here. Scooch towards the camera so they can Mike, see. have you ever heard the dopey podcast about all the romantic stories of drugs? <laughs> I have. These are the guys. Were, they're on with us oh, right hey now. Guys. <laughs> so, Pleasure to meet Mike, you. Mike, you've heard of dopey? I have. <laughs> Mike. How? From Bob? From, well, actually, because I saw Drew on Instagram. Sandwich between you guys, and then I went to in, to research it because I'm in recovery and Mike has some great he, so. he loves drug stories. Mike has better stories than anybody. I just love drugs. How about that? Let's just leave it at that. Mike has the Mike. Has, you got to have Mike on separately because Mike has dopey stories that'll blow your mind. Right. Just tell him a quick one. The guy with the cat. That's one of my favorite. I ones. went to buy meth in uh, in Apple Valley, which is like like the meth capital of really? Southern California. Well, yeah, and for New Yorkers or for anyone outside of Southern California. It's like Breaking Bad portrays yes. a meth lab. Yes. That is every place in Apple Valley. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Just desolate tumbleweeds in front and everything. We drive out there. We pull up. And uh, this guy, these guys come out to see us at the car. And one of them is super buff. I mean, um, obnoxiously meth muscular. Buff? Roided. Meth? No, roided. No, 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 no. Like, uh, like uh, roided out buff. Um, to protect meth buff, <laughs> and he's wearing he's wearing a, uh, a wife beater tank top, and under and outside of one of the straps, I could see peeking out just a giant swastika tattoo. And I'm like, there oh. you go. I'm like, oh great, we're in for a this is a party. So we go inside. The guy who answers the door or who lives there, his name is Vamp. He calls himself Vamp because he looks like a vampire. He's like 11 feet tall with long hair, and he's super skinny with his shirt off and super pale <laughs> so he sits down at like a circular kitchen table and we're on one side my friend and i and he's on the other you're buying meth from yeah him? Oh, okay big now, big deal yes oh my god Normally, you're dead oh but you're here you yeah, didn't get killed no luckily <laughs> now you know uh, normally we buy meth from this one person he uh, he was not available so he finally just broke down and hooked us up with the guy he gets it from who is this vamp guy oh so we go and we can sit down we're at the table we're chit-chatting for Maybe three minutes, and um, over to our left is on the kitchen counter. There's a, an open bag of like the you know individual sale. Yeah, like um, chips uh, ahoy. No chips ahoy. Yes, thank yeah. you, Drew. Um, it's not not a bag, not a box, but like a bag that comes. You buy it like uh, Costco. With yeah, little, yeah. little chips. Right, you would buy like twenty of these bags. Yeah, one of them's half open, and a cat is on the kitchen counter putting its face into these chips ahoy, right? And so and you're, out of the you're blue, nervous. You're nervous. You're I'm, crapping yourself. I'm already so nervous <laughs> I'm ready to cry. But I don't want to cry in front of all these tough guys and especially in front of vampire meth dealer because I'm like, he'll fucking it'll take me for all I'm worth and have the Nazis bury me somewhere outside yeah. in his Apple Valley backyard. So he, uh, the, the cat's eating the, the cookies and I'm scared and I'm like opening, closing my eyes, keeping my head down and all of a sudden... He pulls from underneath the table a gun. Let me just let me just point this out: a gun that we did not know was there. <laughs> so that just that alone scares the fuck out of me because he's got a, a firearm, right? A big one, like a, like a huge. It was it was a nine millimeter, and he goes boom, and he shoot indoors. You know what a gunshot sounds like indoors, especially if you're shot not the cat shoots the fucking cat, 
and it just it explodes. <laughs> boom! It just explodes. And I'm like, oh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Drew, I want to make my no. Friend- Drew is laughing at this. A member of PETA. No, no I'm, I'm laughing because it's so insane. It, it's Mike insanity. told me the story before. Mike, but- did he shoot the cat because he it was his cookies was- and he was mad that the cat <laughs> ate his cookies? He might have thought the cat was the 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 kryptonite coming after it. I think, the, gentlemen, I think we'd vampire. all be best served if we didn't try to make rationale yeah, out of what yeah. fucking vamp does. Yeah. But needless to say, that was, uh. I, like, the fact that we made it out alive, I was our, I was holding my friend, he was holding my hand, and he's like, he's like chill out, chill out, man. So get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of myself. Shut again. So we get back, we get back in his car, and we're driving, and we're silent, right? We're silent for maybe 40 minutes, and we get back on the freeway, and I was like, dude, Never again. We got to clean up our life. This is this is out of control. What are we doing driving out here? Forty five minutes after Heroin. that, we're like, oh, dude, I can't wait to get back there. <laughs> <laughs> Pipe in our mouth, like, fuck it, this is great, man. <laughs> there you go, a little bit. That's a dopey there, story. That's a dopey that's story a right one. there. Oh my god, <laughs> that is that is classic dopey. And we're <laughs> all sober. We all survived, <laughs> thank God. That's that's the thing. I I'm always astonished at. You know, well, the, you're the one that says addicts are better survivors. You oh, gotta have faith there, in it. If there was ever any question, I, I, I advanced you the U four. <laughs> so. Have you have, have you heard? There's actually a theory that they say that the some of the genes associated with substance use disorders. Here we go. Here they we think go. that substance they think that there was a, a random genetic mutation, and that um, addicts and alcoholics were actually, in an evolutionary sense. We were hardwired to survive, basically, well, better than the other people. Well, because when we found the fucking berries, we would eat all the fucking berries. Well, it's a little different than that, stuff. Chris. It's a little different than that because it's actually my theory. Somebody probably told you my theory. And that is if, if, uh, if this gene that created addiction was so destructive, it should have burned out of the human genome a long time ago. Instead, it stays consistent. And not only does it stays yeah. consistent, it emerges more powerfully in isolated populations under certain circumstances. What are those circumstances? Genocidal re- assault over a military assault over repeated generations. So Scotland, Central Europe, Ireland, North American Indian. The people that had to survive in extraordinary situations, <laughs> guess who? The addicts alcoholics. The addicts. And and I, I noticed I this <laughs> I first noticed it when I saw the movie Braveheart and they you know, ten thousand Scotsmen go into battle, three survive, clearly the alcoholics. And, and, and I started going into my treatment rooms and going, you may have been in one of these lectures, Chris, where I did this. And I said, who, who, what would you guys do if a bomb went off in the parking lot? Figure all, it out. All the addicts go right. I want to go right over there and check it out. All the non-addicts, yeah. all the non-addicts <laughs> want to go the other way. So evidently, if there were, in fact, were a bunch of Huns coming over the hill with spears, you sort of being at your best and ready to fight would increase the probability of survival over somebody like me who would get a spear in the back running away. Does that make <laughs> sense? That makes, you know what? That, that does. Yeah. That makes sense. Everything <laughs> makes sense, but the, the last part about you getting a spear in the back, yeah, yeah. that's not necessarily true. I can't tell you how many doctors I have been in recovery with. You know, I, a lot of a lot well, of no, surgeons. He's talking about I, him as a normal person, just a person. But I don't think he's a normal. I think people who make it through surgeons, surgeons make great surgeons. And but I don't, I don't think Drew would abandon the four of us. I don't no. think you would run. No, no, I no. think you'd you'd certainly be behind us. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Mike would be out front. <laughs> I don't know. I would. You know what? You know what I'd be doing? I'd be yelling at Drew because he, for the past hour, would be going, "This is it. This is the end, guys. We're fucked." <laughs> 
We're totally fucked. They're going to kill us all. We're all dead. We might as well just kill ourselves because they're going to come in here and they're going to take us and they're going to step and they're going to torture us. They're going to torture our family. Mike what am I, I going to do? Mike I, I, I've, I've got triplets. I've got triplets. What am I supposed to Mike, do? Mike and I have clearly worked together way too long. Way yeah. too long. Here so, we go. But, but the point is, yes, I, I would hope I would hang in, You'd but my well. biology would be... I would certainly not be activated by the experience. No, me, I would be, I would be turned on. I, I want it to happen, don't so, you? Yeah. Where are the Huns when you need them? Oh my god. Well, there's there's <laughs> something about there's something about too drinking and using that you know I certainly don't miss it the lifestyle that I engage the pooping in. and all the problems but, you don't. Miss. But my life is very unexciting, and there was a there was a, a charge I used to get out of going to dark alleys, meeting with. Gangbangers and, and you know it's stuff that I. No, that's, just, that's, on, that's that gene. On, yeah. that's here's here's yeah. what I think is missing now. You can still do that. You just have to go there to help the drug addicts get out of there. Yeah. Hey yeah. guys, I've got. I'm actually. Right, we gonna, gotta go. No, 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 we don't. You guys can keep talking. I'm gonna go set up this call. Okay. I, I'm gonna make Bob and Mike listen to this call. I'm gonna take with the White House in a minute. Uh, so. I was gonna make a joke that you're gonna have to call that's Sarah Huckabee Sanders or something, but it turns out you really. <laughs> yeah, do. That's what I'm doing. So hold on, uh, right. got Chris and uh, Dave. I'll see you guys in New York someday soon. Probably at Bob's house. Yeah, yeah. Red Hook. <laughs> Thank you, Red Dr. Hook. Red Hook, baby. So Yeah, but what you were but what you were talking about, Bob, it's like, you know, or, and Mike, is that going into the alley, that excitement and stuff, like I, I really believe like that's that's something that's still with me. And Dave and I were talking about on the podcast, like Dave said, you know, the, the lights went out at his place of work and like everybody freaks out and Dave's like excited, like something's something gonna happen. Something abnormal and, happened. And I had, I used to, when I was in jail, I used to want riots to happen. I didn't want to be involved in the riot, (laughs) which you automatically are, but I remember when it was about to pop off, I would get excited. And most people are like getting nervous and like, this is going to be great. Like, something's going to happen and it's going to be awesome. Well, I, but don't you think, I was going to ask Drew. I mean, doesn't Drew get excited when a blizzard is coming because it's different? No, because you no, don't know what's going to happen. He doesn't. No, Drew is not that guy. No, I am that guy, and that's why I'm coming to New York. Well, well we're you know, excited to have you. I man. want you're going to yeah. come in. I, I hope a nor'eastern is still one more is left <laughs> before I get there in April or May. <laughs> you might get a hurricane over the summer. Hopefully, there'll be no more fucking nor'easters. We need spring. Enough is enough of this bullshit, man. I might need help on the train thing, but I'll see you guys when I get there. I'll be out there at the end of April. For sure. Well, you come in, and you come in person, so we don't have to deal with your cell phone in the car and all that bullshit. Yeah, no, I'm going to come to your guys' show, but I'm coming to Cats for sure, but on a weekday when it's not all crowded and there's a line down the block. That was a nightmare (laughs) that day. How long are you going to be in New York, Bob? Just through the summer to fall. Like from what month to what month? From like... It's probably May 1st is the lease for six months. Really? Yeah. Oh, great. But I'm going back and forth. I have the Claremont Well, I house. guess, Mike, Mike, you got some free time in the summer to do some podcasts? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Dodger fan? Oh, the Dodgers are playing. All right, you guys. We'll talk to you later. Great to hear from you. And Get also, back to work. tell everybody where to find you. Wonderful. Yes, yes. Uh, we're on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app. Just anywhere. Search for... Dopey podcast. We're on all the different mediums, and um, thank you for having us. And Mike, please come on the show and tell another story. Absolutely, yeah. guys. Absolutely, you do great work. Chris, Thanks, tell the website, man. Tell them to buy. Oh a yeah, shirt, man. We yeah, Dopey podcast. We've had this shitty ass website, and we finally paid somebody to fix it. And literally, people have been trying to order T-shirts for a year and a half, and it just bounces back, and you can't do it. But we finally fixed it. If somebody wants a Dopey T-shirt, go to DopeyPodcast.com and. Uh, and we can get one. Okay, cool. Those dope Thanks, guys. guys. Dope Thanks, podcast. Guys. See you later.
Have a good See Sunday. Later, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Also, are we signing off yet? Are we done? Okay. All right. So also check out Drew on KBC 790 Midday Live Talk Radio, Monday to Friday. And also find Mike Catherwood on KROQ FM. The Kingpin Station. He's in the real world <laughs> I was at Music Inc. yesterday, and they had the K-Rock booth there. There's just something institutional about K-Rock. <laughs> something about the name. Uh, he's, he's so happy, you can tell. And also... Um, you can find all the podcasts on drdrew.com and as well as where you can find Bob on his podcast, Don't Die. Is it's that right? It's a Don't Die movement. But just go to Rehab Bob. That's where everything I have and That's is. where you can find him. And Mike Catherwood is at Mike Catherwood. And, of course, you can find him on the new amazing Swole Patrol. Oh, which, yeah. Which we're going to be doing live on Facebook in about 20 minutes with an amazing guest. I've, I... Uh, I'm so excited, and also uh, Drew will be back as well after he gets off the phone with the President of the United States. Perfect. That's yes. not a joke, by the way. That's, That's the craziest a thing ever. That's, <laughs> it's a reality television world, Mike. And the guest is Natalie Jill. She's a she's a health and fitness guru who's driving up here from San Diego to meet Mike. So that's pretty amazing, and we appreciate driving, you guys all watching. driving up here to meet Drew. Let's be, and, be realistic. Yeah, so you and, you and me have been in the same spot for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Since we've actually figured out how to use this platform. I hope it works for the next show and we'll see you in a bit. Thank All you. Right, see you later. Thank you. Well, we're so pleased to have Hydrolyte back. Hydrolyte is something that we and my family use just about every day and it is simply the best oral rehydration product I have ever seen. And there are many reasons you should keep some around. I got the flu. I relied on Hydrolyte because I knew it would rehydrate me the way an IV fluid would. We all have heard about the flus and the diarrheas, and they all knock you out. Staying well hydrated is critical to getting over these conditions. Even if you manage to avoid getting infected, your schedule is half as busy as mine. Getting eight glasses of water a day isn't likely to happen. And you don't need it if you've got the proper hydration product, Hydrolyte. That is the beauty. Whether you're sick or not, you can absolutely benefit from proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. Hydrolyte does this better than a sports drink or water alone. That's right, better. It comes in great flavors like orange, berry, lemonade. It's available in a pre-mixed powder. My personal preference is a little effervescent tablets. You can simply drop in a bottle of water or a glass of water, and you're done. you got it, and you are rehydrated. And compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. I know. Don't buy into the hype of the brands. Use Hydrolyte. It's a better product, I'm telling you. I had intended to invent it. They got there first, so I'm all behind them. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. Order Hydrolyte today at hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. That is hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte. We actually buy in bulk in our family, so we're going to click through. Believe me, just click the banner on my site and use the code drdrew18. That is drdrew18. Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew podcast, the This Life podcast, and the Adam and Drew podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. 
If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's News. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.